0: Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will
1: help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 54 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here, Kurt Mortenson here. Uh, it's a little late as we record this. We're going to give it everything we got. We might get sloppy, though. Uh, <laughs> that's the loser's limp, I believe, is the term, Kurt.
0: That is the term. Hey, giddy up. Let's do it. Let's uh, change some lives and talk about the wonderful world of influence and the trust hormone called oxytoxin.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you had another headline for this one that we're going to elect not to use
0: Yeah, we could call it the love hormone, the trust hormone, the lactating hormone, whatever you want to call it, but it's a hormone, it's a smell, and it's a very interesting thing. But uh, before we get to that, how's your week going? You're out of gas? Like a family (laughs) reunion thing or something? What's going on?
1: Yeah, yeah. I just got back from a family reunion, and all day we've been at this place called the Redneck Waterslide. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) This farmer owns this land, and he's got a steep hill on it, so he got the bright idea to kind of dig out a little bit of a trench and then he covered it in plastic and put a garden hose at the top.
0: So you were practicing family PR and influence all day. Is that correct? Your people skills, right?
1: That, that is correct. And the, (laughs) and the tank is empty.
0: The tank is empty, and you've been able to tell okay, is that a fake smile or a real smile? Are <laughs> yeah. they just pretending? That's what you got to do at a family reunion.
1: <laughs> I know. And listeners, I don't know how much of the faking it I have left, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I don't know if you were faking I just wonder if you were the, noticed the other people faking it. Oh, hi, Steve. Good to see you.
1: <laughs> uh, the one that's mostly responsible for that wasn't there. The rest of them were pretty genuinely happy to be there. (laughs) Hey, when
0: there's lots of food, that usually fixes any reunion. Just keep people eating and having fun. That usually works.
1: Yeah, to buy them off with food. That's right. That's right. (laughs) I went on the Redneck water slide, and there's no padding, so you kind of rattle down this thing and get bruised up. But it's fun. You get going up to about 35 miles an hour on it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> wow
1: i know it's crazy
0: serious speed of probably no insurance or just some farmer doing it right you just go and yeah cross your fingers and sign your life away and have fun
1: i wonder how he gets away with it because there's a sign that says we're not responsible for any injuries i'm like i doubt it uh i wonder <laughs> i wonder uh what stories he could tell
0: <laughs> oh i'm sure there's stories <laughs> i'm sure there are
1: welcome to america yeah yeah so how's your week been?
0: Doing well, enjoying the heat off to Atlanta and I believe Tampa to do some media tour with the the books, some English and some Spanish stuff. So it should be interesting. I'll keep you posted next week.
1: On delay. Good luck out there.
0: Yeah, but I'm sure it'll be nice and not only warm, but... Very humid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm headed off to the crisp mountain air of Boulder, Colorado tomorrow for the rest of the Oh, week.
0: that'll be much different. That'll be the dry altitude, nice little heat, but the, isn't they called the People's Republic of Boulder?
1: Uh, I call it the People's Republic of Boulder, <laughs> Yeah.
0: I thought that maybe that's where I heard it from you, going off to the People's Republic of Boulder.
1: <laughs> well, that. you could call it now the People's Republic of Boulder, man, because uh, it's legal out there. Oh, yeah. You've
0: got to deal with your pot sales. They don't even need any influence of that. That's just put up a sign and you're selling out. <laughs> yep,
1: yep. It's always interesting to go out there and the the locals' opinions of it are so so polarized they either love it or they hate it so well it's you're interesting either on it
0: or you're not isn't that what it comes down to yeah
1: i think you know yeah you're i hate it or you're like i love it man yeah, yeah
0: there's no in between on that one that's yeah. how that plays out and see what the other states do
1: yep yep we'll see what they do but in the v-type you've got a study that talks about another chemical that uh, makes us feel quite happy and that's why I was joking about the headline because you know, arguably, you're you're at your happiest when you have this chemical.
0: <laughs> it's interesting, and I think a lot of people have been trying to abuse this oxytocin. It's kind of the love hormone. It gives us to trust and like others. And uh, this comes from Stanford University. It was in the, of course, the geeky moment. It's called the Journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Not sure who came up with
1: that. Oh, mega geek alert! Uh, Don't you have a sound effect ten, for that? Minus
0: ten p- points for that. Yeah, But they found that low levels of oxytocin linked to poor social skills. They couldn't connect with people. See, a lot of scientists have thought this oxytocin was part of autism, but they have proved that it's not. But even with autistic children, and regular children, the more this oxytocin that they have, the more people skills they have, the more social skills they can connect with other people. And it's something that people inherit. And this is just an interesting smell. We've talked a lot about smells and subconscious triggers, how Sour and bad smells can lead to disliking, and this is one that I think a lot of car dealerships have tried to duplicate because it's just a smell that we get, and we automatically trust people. We like people. We become more accepting of others. It increases our ability to recognize the differences between oh, how we evaluate others, and it's really interesting, whether it be falling in love or the one drawback they have with this one is that to women that are lactating, when they do smell this, they tend to lactate more, which is a bad thing when you're trying to sell someone a car, I think. But
1: <laughs> Not it's, good.
0: Not good, but it's that authentic feeling that comes from a smell, which is really interesting. And We've talked a lot about smells on the podcast as far as when people are near the smell of Cinnabon stores are more likely to donate to a charity and how – Perfume and cologne can rate really is more attractive, but most of the time in the workplace, it's a little too much and it has the opposite effect, say in a negotiation. So it's amazing how these smells, and this is the one that markers were trying to grab, and how can they put it in the workplace, and how can they put it into a store? How can you get that automatic trust? But the interesting one with this study is those children, whether they are autistic or, or not, when they had those low levels of oxytocin. They had poor social skills. They didn't have the ability to connect with others.
1: So it's something about the oxytocin, oxytocin, however you say it, that makes that social experience more enhanced. You appreciate it more. You're more connected. Is that a fair it's, way to say it? It
0: is. It's a subconscious triggers that feeling. And not to be confused with oxy cotton.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: that's a whole nother feeling. A whole nother happy about that one. But they have they both have the oxy in the front. It's just something about it. Just like when you meet someone in the first twenty, thirty seconds, that's a feeling. It could come from this smell. That's why markers have been trying to go after it, try to duplicate it. They haven't been successful yet, but they've been trying because it's an amazing science what this does as far as that connection that you have with other people when they kind of sense that smell.
1: So it's actually a, a real smell that the nose picks up and triggers this reaction in the brain. Is that what you're saying? Or? It
0: triggers a reaction. I don't know if it's an actual physical smell. If you could say, oh, that's what it is. I think your olfactory system, your smell just senses it and it triggers that it's automatic thing, whether you're a mother with a child yeah, someone for the first time It's a powerful thing. So I don't know if you could distinguish that. Oh, I'm smelling it. Yeah, right. (laughs) Versus just kind of it's a feeling that you have.
1: Yeah. Or you you smell it, but you're not aware and subconsciously your brain picks up on it and and, uh, produces more of that. I mean, heaven help us all if marketers figure out how to synthetically produce that and and pump it through the ducts at the car dealership or something.
0: (laughs) Like, you just give that glazed look at your fires. I'll take three.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How many cars he got? Give them all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the above? Yeah, cash, that's right. i pay cash. <laughs> oh, that, you know what? If they could do it, they would. They absolutely oh, would try to do would.
0: it. It would always be the car dealerships that would be first. That or Timeshare. We rep on them equally, right?
1: Yeah, right, right. That smell thing <laughs> is airlines. powerful. Air, yeah, airlines. airlines and lawyers and car dealerships. Jeez, <laughs> yeah, I can't stand them. That smell thing is powerful. you know you have those times where you're just going out going about your day, and you just pick up a smell and you don't know what it is, but it is so familiar and it's like yesterday that you smelled it, but you can't quite put your finger on it, and I've noticed too that it's a smell that you can go, "Okay, this is good, whatever I'm relating to right now, it was good while it was happening, or it was bad while it was happening, but you remember those things so well
0: You do, whether it's a smell of a burger or, or a bakery. Or, you know, with real estate, the first thing you train people to do is, hey, potpourri or bake cookies or bake bread because our olfactory systems wired right to the middle of our brain. And we smell it, oh, we're home, we feel good, it's the right house, and it could be that simple.
1: It bypasses some of those other other things in the brain that would m- maybe not allow it through, uh, but because it goes through that system, you're right. I, I know a guy that uh, he swore that in real estate, for example, you could mix vanilla into the paint that you were going to paint the door frame for the front door and really mix it in there heavy to hit people with that good smell of vanilla that was allegedly very pleasant and cause them to perceive the rest of the house in a much more positive manner. I, I don't know if there was any merit to that, but he certainly thought there was.
0: Well, vanilla would be one of those smells. It could be home while I'm um, cooking, that smell. There could be something to that, or at least he, he felt more confident about it. That might well, either or all of the above.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's certain smells that you're expecting, right? I mean, what if you walked into Home Depot or Lowe's and it smelled like potpourri? That would be just wrong. Yeah, there's okay.
0: just something wrong with that. Whether it's a a doctor's office or a dentist's office or all these or lawyers' office, there's certain smells that we expect and when we get the opposite, it really hurts us. But the big one, the amazing study we I mentioned earlier is most people say you're wearing way too much perfume, way too much cologne, and it actually hurts your ability to influence.
1: Yeah, it goes beyond the subconscious. You know, it's a nice, pleasant smell. To holy cow, what are you it's trying like, to prove? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good to know. So there's certain smells that we expect in uh, different atmospheres, and you should you know, try to enhance that uh, to the degree you can. You don't want the hardware store smelling like cookies. It needs to smell like fresh-cut wood or or steel or pipes or something in the lawyer's office. Not that you'd ever want to go to one of those, but uh, you know needs to smell <laughs> well, professional. Books the whole
0: and desks. You know companies in Japan spend time pumping different scents throughout the day that trigger arousal, and more attentiveness, and being more alert. They switch it throughout the day, so there are a lot of studies been done on
1: that. Yeah, that's interesting. We could probably spend a lot more time there. Today we want to get into. I think we're we're winding down on on charisma. Almost done with it. Charismatic people have vision, don't they, Kurt?
0: they have vision and they can instill vision. Because if you're trying to influence somebody, if they can't see themselves doing it, if they haven't bought into it, if they have, you've seen the CEO who has this big vision and they're going to talk about it. If people at the water cooler are going, yeah, right, flavor of the day, whatever. It's not going to last. Then that's not truly a leader because they didn't pass that vision on to the rest of the people. It's just like, yeah, whatever. They're going to do whatever they want.
1: Yeah, that's what gets people to follow you. If the If they feel like, hey, The leader knows where he's going. He's confident in where he's going. I think most people, entrepreneurs aside, (laughs) because they're the ones that want to have the vision, but they're wired to follow somebody like that. That's what they want to do.
0: It's exactly right. When someone's really charismatic, they can communicate that vision, they get the buy and they get the commitment. The people can see themselves doing it. And a lot of times that visions driven by your passion, your conviction. And don't confuse a visionary person with someone who has vision because they can't be different, but it makes a huge difference it empowers others because when you're trying and when you're trying to influence someone, they can't see themselves do it. They don't think they can do it. They don't think anybody can do it. Then they're never going to try to do it. They might say they're going
1: to try to do it, but they'll never do it. What do you think some of the differences are between somebody who they're that guy who always has a new idea and it's just another passing fad. (laughs) He has no credibility anymore because people kind of roll their eyes. Oh, here we go again versus somebody who does have that solid vision that people lock on to and want to follow what's the difference between the the cheese ball here and the the persuasion ninja
0: is that the scientific term the cheese the, ball yes
1: that's from the journal think, of uh terry in a Wisconsin. lot of it has to do
0: with history if you've had 10 strikes so let's try this let's do this and be like yeah yeah whatever but vision is powerful because when you really have it it keeps people focused on future objectives instead of getting stuck in the day-to-day worry or preoccupations it gives people focus on future direction And they paint it. They tell the story and people can see it and it seems real. And charismatic people have this clearly defined vision and they have this enthusiasm and and it's almost contagious for people. And it's amazing that when you look at leaders, they have this ability to articulate this vision. When that happens, there's higher job satisfaction. People are more motivated. They're more committed. There's more pride in the organization. There's more productivity. But then on the flip side, that people said... Very few of their leaders actually had this vision, and it was actually less than 36%. But the main thing here is people who can't articulate a vision won't be successful because, especially in a large organization, there's bumps in the road, things you have to go through. And if you're staring at the bumps, the day-to-day preoccupation and all the things that could go wrong versus the big picture future vision, what it's going to look like, and it's worth the bruises and the defeats and the bumps in the road, that's what makes the biggest difference.
1: I had this uh, former employer who you could say he had a big vision for the future. The issue was at first we bought into it and everybody worked really hard. And as we grew the company and made more sales and became more successful, it started to become apparent to us that this vision for the company and how successful it was going to be did not mean any additional money for us. <laughs> <laughs> and it, even so, it really didn't mean any additional praise and or Anything like that. We were just told, you know, we got to keep growing, we got to keep growing. And so, of course, when new phases of the quote unquote vision were introduced, we started losing a, a lot of gas very, very quickly. So, isn't a key part of the vision, hey, here's how you fit in and here's how you benefit?
0: Sounds like you did the first part right where you're that vision will bridge the gap between the present state and the desired situation. You're working towards it. But then after a while, I think he forgot the what's in it for me. It's not all about me. It's the other people. Where do they fit in? How do they benefit? What are they going to get out of it? How are they part of the team versus everybody working towards his vision and having him achieve those goals where he wins everything, gets all the money and everyone else is just sitting out high and dry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Where you did all the work. So it it was, not just the dreamer thing. We are actually making it happen. But uh, yeah, like you said that what's in it for me is so critical. We were talking about that last week when we were talking about inspiring others, how you need to get people out of the weeds and see the big picture of what they're involved in so that they know, Hey, when I'm working on the assembly line or I'm fixing this widget or I'm doing this paperwork or whatever it is, it's really important that I do this well, because if it doesn't, here's what happens. And then, like you said, on the other side. And if I do, and I do it well, and I improve it, then here's how I benefit. And then it just becomes totally contagious. Then you have a very, very effective employee. I think you had a study about inner city kids in college where at first it wasn't a big deal to them because they weren't experiencing it. They couldn't feel the success, but once they got a small taste of it, things went crazy in a good way. Is that right?
0: Well, that's correct. It's that vision cause- These teachers were telling these inner-city kids, go to college. You should go to college. College will make a big difference. You'll make more money. Go to college. And they weren't going to college because to them there was no vision. What's college? Their parents didn't go. They've never been. They didn't really know what it was. There's really no TV shows about going to college. So they talked about it more. They showed them pictures. They actually took them to a college and had a mirror student for the day. This is college. This is fun. This is what you do here. The benefits. This is what's in it for you. And it make a dramatic increase in the kids that went to college because they could see it, taste it, touch it, feel it, it was part of their psyche, it was part of their mindset and it made a huge difference versus uh, just not knowing what it is. And I think a lot of times as leaders we just assume, even as parents, that they can see the big picture, that they have this ownership. And that's what you have to ask yourself as a leader is, okay, is there ownership? Do they really own this dream, the vision? Are they part of it? Or are they just renting it? Are they leasing it? Are they just going through the motions, or do they really feel the ownership that they're part of the team, they're part of the vision, They are. everyone's working together to achieve this main purpose or goal?
1: That's right. That's right. And I think he's one of the most polarizing figures in the world right now. And whether or not you like him or or hate him, current President of the United States, Barack Obama, was, especially in that 2008 election, really able to make people feel like he had a, a vision. And you just saw people follow like crazy and would uh, would do anything for that campaign. It's got to be one of the best that I've seen in recent memory.
0: It is, and that's true with all politicians. Where What I call fill-in-the-blank is where they paint the picture, but they really say nothing. <laughs> that's why it works so well in politics, because if you say something like change or freedom or democracy, people in their mind fill-in-the-blank, they can see it happening. Even though everybody fills in a different picture, maybe a different vision of freedom or change— mm-hmm. They all feel like this politician is talking to them, and that's why it resonated with so many people when there wasn't much substance, but everyone felt, yes, that's what I want. That's exactly what I want. They're talking to me.
1: Yeah. that Wow. That is the art of politics is oh, yeah. just like you said. Say you have nothing, to, but everyone loves you. Say, yeah, because you can't be held responsible for anything. I mean, if you say something then they're going to call you on the carpet, right? This that's isn't true. the politics of 200 years ago where nothing was recorded and nobody remembered anything. You say something today, the whole world hears it on Twitter a minute later, right? And so that's what uh, Obama was so good at is. People felt like, yeah, there was a vision, but really, concretely, um, not a lot of things were said. And and this isn't just uh, Obama. This is any successful politician. That's the name of the game is, hey, I've got vision, but I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is.
0: (laughs) Exactly. But you're part of it, and you're going to like it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Vote for me. (laughs) Vote for me. Give me the vote. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's very key. Whether or not you believe in the Bible, that scripture in uh, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where there's no vision, the people perish. I think we can all agree with that. Where there's no vision, the business perishes or the cause or the nonprofit, whatever it is that you're working towards. If the rank and file doesn't buy into the vision of where this thing is going, you're done.
0: That's true. And, and that's the big picture, whether it's self-persuasion or the vision as a leader, is that the people that you're talking to is are stuck on that worry whether it be about the future what's going to happen it's because their vision's not strong enough it could be self-persuasion it could be the people you're talking well what about this what if this happens in the economy and this when that happens and people are so consumed with this worry it's the vision's not strong enough because when you have a concrete detailed strong vision the day-to-day details the little worries just fall to the wayside because you can see the big picture and that's what you're focused on
1: the inability to see the future, to see the vision, freezes people in their tracks. They don't give it their all. They don't put their whole heart and soul behind what they're trying to do. And that that's what I do. If I don't feel like I understand something and exactly what could happen and where we're going, then, yeah, that's where I get that uneasiness and that fear. And I don't really commit because you don't understand the future. But a clear vision is the prescription to make all that go away. And I think... If you reduce it to more of a micro level, you as a persuader, you as a closer, you as an influencer, you seeing your own vision for your personal business, your personal goals, whether you have a job or a business, well, what do you want? Where are you going? Are you just going into the office every day and you're trudging away and you're thinking, I just got to pay the bills because that's going to burn you out. You're not going to get any kind of success of any kind of note there. What's the big picture vision that you're working towards? Because that really lights a fire under you like nothing else.
0: It does. People need to know where they fit in, how much effort it's going to take, what is the plan, makes a big difference for them to really buy into that vision.
1: Yep, yep. And you've got to do it for yourself. That's why the whole goal setting thing, it's cheesy. We hear about it. We roll our eyes. We all do it every uh, January and then we fail a couple months later and That's why there's all these studies out there The people that have their vision for themselves and their own goals are always the most successful. It's not even close. So do you want to do it or not? It's easier to just say, I don't want to do it. I want to get excited every now and then and set some and not hit them and then say it doesn't work. But uh, if you're really, really serious about the success, it's something that you just have to do. That's not disputable. It's what successful people do. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh That's
0: what it's all about then. Goals really does increase vision. In fact, if there's a formula with this vision, you need to paint the picture, make it come alive for people to see, taste, touch and feel and make sure everyone has that common goal and that objective is clear and precise. And here's the key. It's measurable that we know that we're number one. We know that we've made a million dollars in sales. We know these different things and create an action plan that everyone can buy into. It seems realistic. So we have this big picture but we've also broken it down to smaller, manageable, bite-sized pieces that people can see themselves do. Because we've talked about this before. When the human brain gets overwhelmed, it shuts down. And so if you want to create a big picture, go for it. But you also have to break it down to smaller, measurable, bite-sized pieces. This is what we're doing today. This is what we're doing our week. This is our goal. This is what we're doing. And so people can really see themselves doing it.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely the takeaway from what we're talking about today. You want to instill vision. In yourself or in your business or in your cause or in your church or in your political campaign, whatever it is that you're listening to this podcast to accomplish, you have to paint a vivid picture that people can almost literally smell and touch and see that is so vivid, kind of like when you get into a book and you're reading it and you're there. Your mind is awake and it's envisioning it, but you quickly lose excitement if there's nothing to do. So what are the small manageable steps? What can we do to manage those results and track it so that there is actual progress? You do one of these without the other and this thing fizzles out really quick, but do them quickly to you do them together. And that's when you have the biggest chance for success. So Kurt, anything else you want to add division to before we shut it down? I mean, you already gave me an amen. I mean, can you really go <laughs> amen past the true. amen?
0: I just want to reiterate the worry side that's so important for people to understanding, especially if you're trying to motivate yourself, is that if you're stuck in despair or worry, you've got to spend some time with maybe some daily affirmations or visualizing your success or having a vision board because the universe will not reward you physically until you can see it mentally and that's true for your employees, that's true for yourself personally, that makes a huge difference to create that vision, that mental picture, because until that happens, nothing else will work for you.
1: That's right. That's good stuff, Kurt. Well, let's move on. You ever been to a fast food restaurant? This happened to me today. I went to Carl's Jr. today, and we're segueing into our blunder quite awkwardly, may I add. <laughs> and, uh,
0: Carl's Jr., I think that's Hardee's on the East Coast.
1: Yeah, it is. It is, although they were advertising... uh They've got Hardy's biscuits or something now, but I got the the Western burger, and probably had enough calories for the week. This is a burger with an onion ring and some bacon on it, and it's delightful. But you know, it's it's yeah, a heart I think you're attack. You're pushing
0: about fifteen hundred calories on that, but I think it's worth it.
1: <laughs> I'm not regretting it. You know, I got the fried zucchini with it and the ranch, oh, sure and you know. I mean. I got counter
0: just spinning out of control right now, but that's okay. Yeah, well,
1: zucchini is a vegetable. What's your problem, yeah. man? It's yeah, a if vegetable. Yeah, when you
0: fry it and bread it and dip it in ranch,
1: hey, why not? Anything could be good. <laughs> yeah, if you fry it and dip it in ranch. <laughs> but I went there, and, and I, I always like to do this when I order at a drive-thru, which, you know, it happens. You get in a hurry You say, yeah, I want X, Y, and Z, and and that's it. That'll be my order. And they always ask me at the end of that, would you like a something, something with that? And I think I just told you that's it. I don't want anything else because they heartedly ask. And I understand that you had an experience with this the other day, and you should probably queue up the Homer before you tell us.
0: All right, Homer, bring it on. Don't, don't, don't. All right. Thank you, Homer. They're trained to ask because statistics show that when you ask, Percent, around 30-40% will say, Sure, I'll take the apple pie, sure, I'll take the shake, sure, I'll take that just by asking, especially when it's coming out of the blue and people aren't expecting it. This even happened on a study on a subway where when people try to get a seat from you and people saw you coming, Can I have your seat? No, can I have your seat? No, can I have your seat? No, they Would say no, but when you were startled or surprised, statistically speaking, you were more likely to give it the seat. I think that's one of the reasons they do this. So, this was at a fast food restaurant, and I don't know if we're going to name names today, but these young workers are trained to ask you for the apple pie or whatever it is. They don't like to do it, they have to do it. It's part of their job. And here is the blunder where this young lady says, says, Well, and we'll use an apple pie for this one. And she was shaking her head side to side. Like she was saying no to herself. You wouldn't want an apple pie with that, would you? <laughs> <laughs> and you've got a couple of blunders here the shaking the head side to side in the no fashion. You've got you, you wouldn't want that, would you? And her whole demeanor, she didn't want to say it. I didn't want to take it. And a lot of times we get stuck when we get close to that call to action where our demeanor changes or people can tell that we're nervous or so you wouldn't be interested, would you? You'd be surprised how many salespeople actually do that. You wouldn't want one, would you? You wouldn't be interested, would you? Where they might as well just shoot themselves in the foot to where, well, no, I am not interested or no, I don't want the apple pie or no, I, no, go away. Because you've planted that seed in your whole demeanor is tell them that they're not supposed to be interested, and ding, 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 they're not.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're we're picking on the poor fast food girl here. It's not like she's an attorney or an airline or something, <laughs> but it does illustrate the larger point, which is, yeah, I mean, how bad do you really want this? Because we all do that. It's not as is blatantly obvious where we're shaking our head, saying, no, and you wouldn't want this, right? Subconsciously, your brain's going, no, I wouldn't want it. <laughs> Thanks you for helping me make the decision. But... We definitely all do it. We get a little more timid and sheepish and we want to get it over with. We know we're supposed to do it and and we got to do it, but it's so horrible. So hurry up and say no so we can both move on with our lives.
0: And that's a big complaint that we've talked about before on these podcasts is the moment you get to that call to action, your demeanor changes, you're different, you're nervous, you're tense. This is the time you're going to ask for their business, for their money, for their donation, whatever it is. And they're like, what happened to people person? What happened to the happy face? Why are they so nervous and tense and serious? And then all of a sudden that changes. And of course, I think the scientific term is that you're freaking them out.
1: That is the scientific term, (laughs) yes. Put
0: that up there with cheese ball.
1: Yeah, cheese (laughs) ball, yeah. (laughs) What what scientific journal are we getting these from? We'll have to make one up for the next episode. That we will. Nice, long, just jargony... Scientific journal. So, all right. Well, that's, that's what it they have for our,
0: that's the name of our new scientific journal, Cheeseball.
1: Cheeseball. Yeah. yeah, we'll cite it frequently. Cheeseball
0: persuasion techniques.
1: I can feel the SEO coming already. Great. <laughs> well, we're we're gonna go ahead and wrap up the show today, everybody. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to send us your feedback to maximize your influence at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show. Uh, via itunes stitcher radio blackberry windows marketplace all those were on them i believe i already said but yeah maximize your influence at gmail.com for ninja nominations for blunder nominations or any ideas or comments or questions anything that you would like us to cover more of on the show we're all ears and would love to hear back from you
0: and please leave your endorsements testimonials great comments on itunes it really helps us out
1: Awesome, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.
0: See you next week.